Our series is PJ's Priority Passages. I love alliteration. And so uh, the point is this, if the world were going to end with a zombie apocalypse tomorrow or the Lord was coming back, which is the one that I'm voting for, uh, what would be the last 10 messages I would ever give anybody? And so we've covered faith, we've covered sin. Today we are going to cover something you probably never saw coming. But I, I guarantee you by the time you walk out of here today, you're going to have to think about something in context to the reality of it and the import of it and how it affects your own life. So buckle up and get ready because we're going to touch on something that absolutely 100% affects every single person in the room in a dramatic, dramatic way. So uh, let's look at our key scripture. What is spiritual breakthrough? So uh, again, I, I, I wrestled with using this terminology because uh, there are individuals who have written books and do seminars, and uh, I don't really, um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't read their books, and I don't go to their seminars. Uh, but spiritual breakthrough is a terminology that has been hijacked by a certain nomenclature within our, our, our world, the, the world of the church. Spiritual breakthrough is in context of this idea that we have been divided. There's been a lot of what I call thievery based out of John 10. And the enemy is seeking to tear the church apart. And part of what happens in that process is when you just kind of get disillusioned or disinterested in spiritual things, or you become numb, and you're trying to get back to that place where there's a thriving depth of relationship with God day in, day out. That's what we mean by spiritual breakthrough. So Paul speaks about this in Colossians 1. And you can join me if you can read it on the screen, Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Today, our message is feelings, friend or foe. Now, many of you, when I just announced that, you had babs come up in your ear, didn't you? That didn't get as much run as I thought I was going to get, um, especially with this crowd. Uh, you guys know babs. You know, don't make me sing it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. What is the point, what is the purpose of talking about feelings? Every man in the room wants to escape to the bathroom right now, <laughs> according to data. Let me walk you through this. Why is this one of my top ten? In scripture, or in life, or in history, we see so many wonderful and wonderfully tragic moments and choices happen due to feelings. To consider something that either uh, conditions, controls, or complements in every single life on this earth is requisite and irresponsible not to. Plus, I love those Sarah McLaughlin advertisements for puppies late at night. They just kill me, right? I'm losing 1995 every single month. 
right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You don't? You've never seen that commercial where they run out these dogs that are starved, and, and then the, the, the dogs like have these the close-up, the, and the music's playing in the background of this dog that's shaking like this, and if you don't give 1995, that dog's dead and it's your fault, right? So there are people that know how to manipulate your emotions. Did you figure that one out yet? And that's why we have statements like the one that's on the screen right now, but let me get back to that. There's various theologians and biblical scholars and pastors that have taught throughout the years, decades, and centuries. Now, here's where there's going to be a shift that you don't see coming. There are various theologians and biblical scholars and pastors that have taught throughout the years, and listen to me carefully, decades and centuries, an incomplete and or erroneous yet well-intentioned dogma that our emotions and feelings are not a good thing and that how we feel shouldn't matter. How do you feel about that? Here is one of those statements by Charles Spurgeon. By the way, I'm a huge Charles Spurgeon fan. But let me tell you how we get into these dividing dogmas. It's because someone teaches this and someone takes that teaching, doesn't listen to all the teaching, and they form a dogma around it, and then they teach someone else that. And then they teach someone else, and it's like a Prell commercial, right? Okay, so far I've hit Babs and Prell commercials. I'm locked in the 70s with all illustrations today. Sorry, Mike. I'll, I'll try to work something up today for you. So Spurgeon has this quote. It says, there is nothing so deluded as feelings. Hey, how do you feel about that? Christians cannot live by feelings. But do we? Absolutely we do. Let me further tell you that many feelings are the work of Satan. We're going to address that. For they are not right feelings. What right have you to set up your feelings against the word of Christ? So I agree with much of what Spurgeon is saying there. What happens is the next person who listens to that quote or that teaching kind of filters it down to what they heard, and then they pass it on to someone, and that person filters it down to their own dogma that fits their personality. You know what we're talking about, right? And pretty soon what you're hearing from pulpits all around is that feelings, nothing more than, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Just get it over with, right? Um, oh my gosh, Jay, you threw me off. I have no idea where I am. Back to my notes. This idea that Feelings drive us and control us is very true. We're going to make a biblical precedent for it, but as I make that biblical precedent, I want you to think through your own life. What choices, what lifestyle has been changed because you made decisions or choices, either to the good or the bad, based off of feelings? And so much of the time, our feelings can be manipulated, our feelings can be swayed by the enemy himself 
But our feelings can also be guided by the Holy Spirit, can they not? So we have to take a deeper, <coughs> deeper dive into this. Um, so here's an interesting thought. Most counseling, sermons, books, podcasts are directed at the emotive in feelings. Billions are spent every year because of feelings. One might argue it's the single greatest aspect of life that we can pay attention to. Let me prove my point. Y'all are going to have a discussion when we get done here. What are you going to do for lunch? And somebody's going to say, well, I want to go to a Golden Corral. And someone else is going to say, because that's how she feels about it. Okay? And, and you, you know the drill. You guys all go through it. And it's even more complicated when you got kids. Father's Day is coming up. Father's Day, like 4,000 years ago, we were heading to Claim Jumper for Father's Day. It was right when Chuck E. Cheese got built. And we make that curve on Gateway, and the kids see Chuck E. Cheese, and they just start screaming, Chuck E. Cheese. Guess where I spent Father's Day, 2009? Feelings. Friend or foe, first, uh, first Philippians. Yeah, turn to first Philippians, if you will. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, and this is going to be our key text today. I don't have it here. I'll have it at the end. I'm going to read the whole thing right now so you get some context. You can sit in this while I, while I talk through elements of what we're looking at, but we're going to look in depth later on at how Paul synthesizes or harmonizes this very astute idea that feelings are a very legitimate, God-given part of us. But they should not be the goal. And he does a great job in this entire passage. So I want you to think as I read this, I want you to listen for what are ways that Paul, in his writing, is being emotive, right? Where he would maybe, in his, even, his language, his tone of his language in his writing, would speak to the emotive and to feelings. Listen to this. I thank, <clears throat> sorry, <laughs> that's a hint, okay? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Why don't he just say, hey, it's good to talk to you. Do you ever have that person that you just question their, their genuineness? Because every time they're up in front of your face, everything is over the top, right? So I walk up, I walk up to my friend Lyndon, I'm like, man, Lyndon, you saved the day last week. You have no idea. Now, if I say that every Sunday... I might feel it, but he's pretty much going to be like, by week 18, just stop. <laughs> Tell me something with meat and credibility, right? But Paul takes time to be emotive here. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all. Remember our All In series? Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with what? Joy. Because of your 
partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Man, you've been with me from the beginning even to my imprisonment, right? He says, and I am sure of this. He could have just said, hey, point number one. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Theology, doctrine, solid teaching, it is right for me to, what? Feel this way. Mark this down, because I'm not going to come back to it. Someone wants to argue with you that feelings... And if you just took the very first part of that quote by Spurgeon, it kind of sounds like he's anti-feeling. Paul himself, then they have to contend with Scripture. Paul says, it is right for me to what? Feel this way. Life without feeling and God-given emotions is really black and white. Does anybody know what this is a picture of? Yosemite. Do you know what special part of Yosemite? We'll get back to that in a minute. Well, in about an hour and a half. <laughs> Let me continue. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my what? My heart. Paul addresses the heart, which is really this essence of our soul, right? It's where we feel. I, I, I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense of the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And here we are, verse 9, we'll get back to this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Are you hearing this? so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That is so incredibly powerful, and it would, if we lived by it, it would eradicate so much of counseling that is needed today. Often we get this question, well, how does the Bible really apply to you know, counsel? I need to go to... I don't know why I'm speaking like that. <laughs> it was to get that kind of reaction from Pam. If we were to apply this and believe it, take the knowledge of what Paul is talking about and pursue it, life would be different for us. Let me take you through this idea of feelings, friend or foe. Well, we live in an emoji-driven world. How many of you used an emoji this week? Any of you? Yeah. We live in an emoji-driven world. You think I'm making this stuff up, but feelings are such a desperately important part of our life. Because many are fully aware, including Satan, how to use feelings to divide is why we're looking at this today. Let me run you through some ideas here. Under the concept of friend, Feeling gives depth to beauty. This, you don't have to write this down. If you want this later on, I can give you the notes. Under this idea that feelings can be my friend, or that it's a good thing, it's a God-given thing, feeling gives depth to beauty. Feeling spawns creativity. Feeling draws the soul into worship. Feeling invokes courage in the face of uncertainty. 
Feeling makes a house a home. Feeling is demonstrated through the interpretation of the artist's brush strokes, not the paint or the canvas. Feeling is the difference between Billie Holiday and an American Idol audition. Feeling is a juicy, fully loaded hot dog in the top of the fourth inning under a sunny sky. It's all how you say it. Feeling is winning your fantasy league, Powerball, or California State vaccine lottery contest. See, I play the long game. Feeling is a favorite memory. Do you have one of those? As I look out, and I know most of you, we've talked about some favorite memories that you have. And it evokes a feeling within you. Feeling is the joy of a wedding, the birth of a child, a first house, graduations, grandchildren, or saying goodbye. Feeling gives purpose to adjectives. Some things I want to share with you just in the, in the wrestling with this idea of feelings, friend or foe, and, and this idea of friend is this quote, we cannot truly enjoy or be amazed at God's goodness, creative genius, constant grace, mercy, and blessing without feelings. The other thing I want to share with you is this idea that there is nothing in our lives with such great influence, minute by minute, whereby we filter if life is worth the living or death seems inviting than our feelings. Let me share some scripture with you that prove that feelings can be our friend. They can be a good thing. They can be a God-given thing. And it is that which gives us inspiration. If feelings are such a negative thing, then why did Jesus weep? But he did weep, and he wept twice as we look at his story and ministry for three years. If feelings are such a bad thing, think through the concepts of how Jesus cleared the temple not once but twice, driven by passionate feelings for righteousness in the face of evil. When you read those stories or those two accounts, you cannot help but understanding that our gentle lamb who went to the cross passively grabbed a whip and he didn't just say, hey guys, could you get out of here please? Hey, um, we're having a buffet over at Saul's house and uh, let's, just, let's just relocate over there. Luke 2, 19 through 20. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Take the feeling and the emotive out of that statement, and it might read like this. But Mary thought about the things that the shepherds said. And the shepherds, knowing the late hour, decided to go home. Does that re even come close to reading the same? It is lifeless. What I just offered you 
as an interpretation of that scripture. Now, everything I said was true, but it's lifeless. Luke 7, 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled. By the way, let's just stop for a second. If you're not used to hearing the sounds of a child, that's emotion. That's feeling. That's life, and I love it. That's why I said that. I learned a long time ago how to be louder than a child, because I am a child. Luke 7, 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. The Greek word there has this idea of wonder. The emotion of Christ talking about the centurion, right? When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Talking about the centurion. Luke 7, 37 through 38. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of, of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Can't you just hear those who own the house? And you've heard it preached before. Hey, come on. <laughs> this is our party. You need to leave. You're making a scene, right? And yet Jesus reproved them for that. There's a beauty to the understanding that feelings can be friend to us. We see it demonstrated in Scripture, and I would encourage you that in your own life, think about the things that inspire you. We're going to finish there in just a moment. This idea that feelings that are focused around the Lord and are focused around his goodness and his creativity and his, his sovereign word, that that evokes within us inspiration. What about foe? How do you like that emoji? That took a long time to find that thing. So here's another quote. <clears throat> says, our culture for generations now has been conditioned to place feelings first. When you greet someone and you say, how, what? Yeah. I did that with like five people this morning. And we say it so cavalier, don't we? It's just become part of our push-button experience. Why don't we say something like, Tell me your deepest, darkest secret. <laughs> Let's get to some depth of relationship, folks. Why don't we say, why don't we compliment a person on who they are or how they look instead of saying, how are you? Because we have been cultured, great word here, we have been cultured to focus on feeling. Got it? We have been cultured to focus on feeling over and over and over. And so, how are you? And they say what? Back. Fine. I'm not making this up, right? In our house, we call that the F word. Okay? You're not supposed to use the F word. So, I did this with somebody right before service, and they asked me, well, how are you? 
And I, I, I went through this long litany, and I could see it. Eventually, the eyes glossed over. It's like I did not ask for your life story. That's why we just respond that way, because what we're saying is disingenuous, isn't it? But the reason we say it is we have been cultured to focus on how we are feeling by our society. And I think it's killing us. I think it's killing us. But there's reasons and rationales why that's happening. So let me, let me focus real quickly on this idea of foe. How can feelings be our foe? Well, feelings can be fickle. Feelings allow permission for sorrow, anger, and depression. Feelings can dictate our decisions on circumstances, not discernment. Feelings as a priority rarely allow for thinking to stand up and win the day. Feelings are the fool that listen to lies and manipulation. Feelings can lead to destructive actions, habits, and thinking. Feelings unchecked are a petri dish for Satan's agenda and plot against God's elect. Feelings based on expectation of man often distort the promise and faithfulness of God. Let me take you to Scripture and show you how feelings can be foe. We've talked recently in this series about Cain and how sin sought to devour him. We know that Cain murdered his brother because of feelings of jealousy and he was embarrassed. We know that Saul tried to kill David because of feelings of insecurity. We know Solomon approved of setting up false gods in Jerusalem because of politics. Peter cut the ear off of a guy just doing his job because of loyalty. Martha forever put a bad name to doing dishes because she let tasks take the place of loving worship. The first century church was always facing division due to tradition in spite of truth. This concept, spiritually healthy wisdom that results in rejoicing, is where we want to be. So if we're talking about feelings, friend or foe, where, where do we land on this? Well, what we're trying to recognize is that feelings are a God-given part of what he has created within us, and it really does connect us with the Almighty. But what we've also seen in Scripture and in our own lives is that those feelings can be manipulated and they can lead us to bad choices if we simply operate by the emotive. So let's give some distinction to it in wrapping up. Spiritually healthy wisdom that results in rejoicing. This is the way I see this challenge. Based off of feelings and the agenda for feelings, we have this issue where we are conditioned. We are like Pavlov's dog. Just look at marketing. Just look at... Uh, there, there was a commercial on the other night where this gal's trying to eat chicken wings in her cubicle. Have you seen this one? It's a commercial for Pepsi. And so she's getting all greasy. She gets it on the, on the paperwork, and she just doesn't even care because it makes her feel what? Makes her feel good. But then she's wanting. She's wanting something. The wings are good, but she needs something else. And she reaches for that Pepsi, and it's got beads of water going down it, which make you know that it's a nice, ice-cold Pepsi. And they show her from a, a horizontal view, looking over the cubicle, just stuck in this position, just slugging it down. All based off feelings. Pepsi built this body, and it is not operating okay. <laughs> All right? How do you feel about that? 
we are conditioned to believe lies. This is why, <laughs> this is why the turnstile of counseling is worrying, not worrying, but worrying like a buzz. Because we keep getting manipulated over and over to focus so much on our feelings that we have no answers. Because we're training people not to look at what is solid and what is good and what is right and what gives us the answers. Second, control. We need to look no further than Judas. Judas was absolutely controlled in his feelings. It was his feelings that led him to betray Christ. And look at the manipulation because when he came back around and settled down and started thinking, what happened? He went back and threw the blood money into the temple and then realizing what he had done could not get over those feelings. He got manipulated again and killed himself. This happens every day all around the world because of control of our feelings. Controlled feelings are dividing the church right now on such an unparalleled level that I've ever seen. Thank you for being here and wearing a mask when you really don't want to. Thank you because you've said I'm not going to let that divide this church. I'm not going to let vaccines divide this church. I'm not going to let politics divide this church. That the love of Christ is going to bind us in unity because you know and you believe. You know and you believe. And when you focus on those things, even in crisis, and you've got something to go back to that you know, and because you've taken that knowledge and applied it with will, you have experienced God's goodness, you've experienced the translation of those answers and those principles and those promises working themselves out in application in your life, so therefore you believe, whether fully in faith or partial faith, partial experience, you have something to go back to that you cannot be controlled in your feelings. Lastly, so where do feelings land? My estimation is that it should be a compliment. It should be a compliment to what we know and what we believe. And um, I've got these two books. This is always dangerous. <laughs> I, I can get a long litany of people. That, I can't believe you recommended that book. Oh, yeah. Get over it. How do you feel about that? Okay. Um, there's a gentleman that's written literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of books. He was uh, the director up at Hume Lake. His name is Bob Phillips. This has been a very, very good book for my wife and I, overcoming anxiety and depression. Not because we're depressed or we have tons of anxiety, but you should, you should see what it's like to live with Nancy. So we had to, <laughs> we had to read this book a lot. It's out, it's fresh. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not getting any more pie. So uh, this book has tons of illustrated helps, and, and I'm going to show you one in a minute. Another book, I, listen to me carefully, I've not read all the way through this book. 
but what I've read so far is pretty good, pretty solid. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I think there's great value in looking at those two things when it comes to this idea of how do we deal with feelings, how does that factor into what we know and we believe, how can we keep ourselves from being manipulated into making horrible choices because of how we feel in a moment, right? Now think about the magnitude of this. Why did this make the top 10 list? Because this affects everybody. And if you have hit the, the, the highest level of spiritual acumen and you've got this one nailed down, guess what? This wasn't a waste of time. You need to take this and share it with people who need to hear it. Amen? So let your feelings be driven by the mind and powered by the will and you will avoid train wrecks. The reason I say that is this is an illustration out of Bob Phillips' book and he really puts together the idea of how these things complement or how they work together. Is that if you let your feelings drive the train, what's going to happen? It's going to be a train wreck. But if you go back to, and I want you to, I want you to hear me clearly, because we're going to go back to Philippians 1 in just a second. But there are so many other scriptures, Romans 8, Colossians 2, over and over, where Paul says, set your what? Mind. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. Right? This is how we avoid the catastrophe, the train wrecks that happen when we make decisions because of emotions or feelings. Now, when we talk in those terms, that's kind of what Spurgeon was hinting at. But let's not throw out what God gave us to enjoy the beauty, to enjoy the reaction, to enjoy life, as Jesus said, life to the full. We're going to have a visual on that in a minute. The mind has to be the thing that drives your decisions, drives yourself every day. That's followed by the will. The will gives the power, the motivation to move in that direction. Guess what? The feelings are along for the ride. The feelings are along for the ride. So what a waste if you just have an engine and a coal car. What's the point? Right? It all works together. But please don't put the passenger cars in the front. It's not going to work out real well. So back to this passage, Philippians 1, and we're going to look at 8 through 11. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all or for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Again, emotion, right? And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with, and here it is, with knowledge and all discernment. What does Paul tell the Corinthians? If I have knowledge but I do not have what? Love. I have nothing. There's a balance to this, folks. And I want you to remember the illustration of the train, that the mind has got to be the place that gets things right. And then the emotions follow a good lead dog, so to speak. I just changed my illustration. Sorry about that. So that you may what? And here's the application if you get it right. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. How many of those who are stuck in their feelings feel helpless because they can't find solid footing? They are prisoners. They are controlled or conditioned 
because of their feelings. And the fallout of, of, of counseling is that it just focuses on the feelings. When counseling fails to create that which the mind can wrap its head around and approve and say, this works. But all we do is focus on what's happening in the passenger car. We get nowhere because there's no engine pulling us. Right? Let me close with this. Dallas Willard had a great quote on this. Feelings are good servants, but they are disastrous masters. Right? So here's this picture of the falls. Because it's in black and white, what does it do? It requires that you study it. Right? How many of you love black and white photography? I love black and white photography. It requires something of us. Worship should be driven by what we know and believe, powered by obedience and sacrifice to our Father, and resulting in unapologetic and passionate feeling. Sometimes we're a little bit too intellectual with our worship. Because we've been trained that way, haven't we? We've been raised in a non-passionate, right? Have you ever seen Carl Drum? Let me change that. Have you ever heard Carl Drum? Right? I love it. And every once in a while, I, I, I'll be sitting up here and I'm like, what is that noise? I don't know if you've experienced this, but when Carl gets passionate while he's drumming, he actually like, or, or something along those lines. I, I don't know what he's doing, but it's because we talked about it. It's because he's so overwhelmed with engaging with the Spirit that it's, he's hearing the music and it's just flowing out of him. He's connecting in this incredibly beautiful way. I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to mock Carl. Carl, if you're watching this, I'm not trying to mock you. It's this sense that so much of the time, Joe stands up here and sees us worshiping like this. Let me clue you in, you will not be doing that in heaven. So why are you doing it here? Because you're not getting a good picture of heaven. The two pictures, the black and white picture requires us to focus and look at details, right? That's the knowledge part. In some ways, we have to appeal to the mind. Yet when we see the color picture, it helps reveal the depth of what we grasped in our minds and have a deeper and more profound experience. This is how feelings factor in as a friend or a foe. Such it is with our Savior. It needs to be through our mind and will that we seek to have a profound and clear understanding of who Jesus is and what the gospel offers for those who receive him. It is then that the Holy Spirit colors our lives with inspirational living. And every moment we experience the wonder of the Spirit and the power of the Word to shape our lives, there is a profound response that raises up within us, one of deep feeling and passion. And this is not only appropriate, it is necessary. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Reveal yourself to the point where it draws out in us because of what we know and what we believe. Feelings that are friendly to us. Feelings that are the complement to what we know and believe. 
And that when we have those feelings, it is the evidence of our faith at work. Help us to hold fast to that which edifies. We pray these things in your glory, in your name. Amen.